the story of the cross just never gets old. Amen. Luke chapter 5, and uh, today we'll begin in verse number 27, read just a handful of verses with you, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. I'd like to preach by the grace of God on this subject, we are called to repentance, called to repentance. In verse 27, it says, after these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi, but their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Jesus answering said unto them, they that are whole need not a physician, but they We're able to turn our attention not just to what you did for us in the past, but as we heard in the hour before, what you are going to do in the future. And Lord, now we plea, we beg, come down and meet with us. Speak to our hearts and help us to hear clearly that call that is still going out for sinners to repent. I pray you might fill me with your spirit, help me to preach now, and give us all ears to hear. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As you can see, Jesus... He did not come to make us feel better about the way we are. You see that in verse 32? He says, he says I came to call sinners to repentance. I called, I came calling that you would change. Not to make you feel more comfortable about the way you are. Is it true that he loves us? Absolutely. But it also says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. These are the words of Christ from the book of Revelation. That call of repentance is still going out. Even after he has died on the cross, risen from the dead, gone back to heaven, he still is telling sinners, be zealous, therefore, and repent. This change that he's asking for, you understand, it's not a change to, it's not a a changing of a few bad habits. He's asking you to make a complete 180 to Stop trusting whatever it is you're trusting to get you to heaven and trust Him. Stop trying to figure out your own way to live life and trust His way to live your life. The change that He's looking for, and I believe that's exactly why we have this story in the Bible, is well exemplified in the life of Matthew. In this story, he's known as Levi. That would be his more Jewish name. So just look back to verse number 27. After these things he went forth, Jesus of course, and saw a publican. Now we know that as a tax collector, a publican. The publican is just the Latin word for it. He saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom and said unto him, follow me. I can only assume that there's a much bigger backstory, right? He walks by, says, follow me. Matthew leaves it all and follows. I I would have to think that Matthew has been keeping up with this Jesus guy. Right, word about Jesus, what he's been preaching and teaching has spread everywhere. Matthew, no exception, he knows what's going on. Something God had been working in his heart. Who knows how deep that backstory goes? Say, Brother Mike, why wouldn't they put that backstory in the Bible? You know why I think they leave that out? Because your backstory won't be the same as his. Unless you think, well, I'm not as bad as Matthew. My story's not the same, so I'm going to wait for Jesus to come to me, you know, in the, in the same way. No, no, your story's going to be different than Matthew's. You're, the way 
that your path crosses with Jesus' path, the way that the Holy Spirit gets you to the cross might be slightly different than the way my story goes about. But the one intersection we all have is at some point in our life, Jesus passes by wherever we're at when we're ready and says, now, I want you to come and follow me. We are all at some point going to be faced with that follow me moment where the Lord's been dealing with you, working on your heart, you feel the prick of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of God has been stirring in you, and you know something's got to change. I cannot go on the way that I am. If I continue down this path, I, I don't like where I'm going to end up. And you can feel the Lord drawing you, persuading you, convincing you. And at some point, he passes by and says, Now, you know when he did it with Matthew? While he was at work. You ever thought about that? He didn't wait till Matthew showed up at synagogue because Matthew probably wouldn't go to synagogue. He's a tax collector. I'm going to tell you now just how bad those people were. You know, God doesn't have to work with you in a church service. He could do it right in the middle of your work week. Just grab a hold of your heart based on something maybe you've heard from family and friends. Maybe you heard something in church. But the Lord uses all of these past experiences. They kind of accumulate. That's the backstory. And then this one moment where Jesus shows up and puts the finger on your heart and says, Now, you ought to be just about ready. Follow me. Everybody's going to be faced with that follow me moment. May I just remind you, you cannot be born into the follow me moment. Out yesterday we had church-wide witnessing, got to speak to a handful of people, gave somebody a gospel tract, ma'am, are you saved? Have you been born again? Sure, yes, I'm a Christian. When did you become a Christian? I was born into it. Friend, you cannot be born into Christianity. You can be born into a Christian home, but that doesn't make you a Christian. You understand the difference. You must, Jesus said, you must be born again. And that is a choice. You must receive the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. It's predicated on you receiving him. Years ago, Dr. Ruckman, where I was in church, he had an Indian man come from India to preach for us. And he, he was explaining the new birth, and I'll never forget the way he explained it. It's just always stuck with me. I, I like the accent as well. He said, you know, in India, so, so many times, the woman is about to give the birth to the baby. So she's going to the hospital in the bus, but she runs out of time. So the baby is born in the bus. And he leaned over the pulpit. He said, my friends, does that make the baby a bus? It's a good question. That doesn't make the baby's not a bus because it was born in a bus. He said, nor can you be a Christian because you were born in a Christian family. You must be born again. At some point in your life, you're going to have that follow me moment. I cannot force it on you. As a young Christian, I thought that I could. After I got saved, I thought, how could anybody miss it? All you need is a clear explanation of the gospel. If somebody would just show up to you and explain, listen, you're a sinner, you've broken God's laws, you deserve to be punished, Jesus loves you so much, he took your punishment in your place on the cross of Calvary, paid for all your sins, and now salvation is a free gift. All you must do is receive the Lord Jesus Christ genuinely from your heart, 
Make that follow me decision and say, Lord, I I want you. I don't want to go any other way, just you. If someone would just explain it clearly, everyone automatically right away would say, okay, sign me up. I want that. It's shocking how many times you can clearly explain it. And, And this is one way you know the Bible's true. The Bible says the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. That's how you know that there's unclean spirits and a devil out there. The gospel is so abundantly clear and simple. Why is it that people cannot get to this point and go, why wouldn't I follow Christ? The Holy Spirit has to get you to that point. I can't. I'll tell you that you need this. I'll tell you that One day you're going to have to make this decision, but friend, maybe today, maybe today this is where the Lord has put His finger on your heart and says, hey, you've been coming around a while, you've been hearing this, but today, follow me. You don't need a long explanation. You just need to recognize that it's Jesus pointing at you saying, follow me. Not the preacher, not your mom, not your dad but the Lord Jesus Christ. It's your follow me moment. What's, what's the big deal about this particular man? Why, why Matthew? Why is Levi in this story, as his name is here, why is this such a, a big deal for him? Well, let me tell you just a little bit about tax collectors. The Jews had their own taxes that they charged the people for temple worship. Now, you can read about that in the book of Leviticus. But the Romans, of course, they were in control of the land. Now, when Rome was still a small operation they had much like a SARS right within Italy and they would raise taxes within their own country but as Rome began to spread right they took over much of Asia and Palestine North Africa it was a little more difficult to collect taxes from these far-off places so here's what they would do they would give out contracts to the highest bidder much like I think you guys call it a tender where you can put, is that where you put in a bid and then who, yeah, okay, so it's like you give out tenders for this. So tax collectors would go to Rome and say, listen, uh, how much you want for this province? And, and Rome would say, okay, for this province, we need at least, you know, two million denarii, whatever number they would put on it. And that tax collector would say, okay, I'll give two million. And then you could outbid him and go, I'll go 2.1, 2.2. And then the highest bidder would get the contract for that province. Now, if you win the contract, you have to pay the Roman government all that tax money up front. So let's say the tender's two million denarii, you pay it up front. But now you have the backing of Roman authority. You have the Roman army in in your back pocket. You can use their power, their soldiers, anything. You go back to that province, like in this case in Israel, and you can charge whatever you want to recover your money. And everything go, anything goes. You can beat people until they pay you. You can make up lies about people, just flat out fraud and say, I am going to tell everybody you did this unless you pay me. Now it's blackmail. You can, because there's a customs tax, obviously you have to evaluate the thing you're paying customs on. So somebody, maybe they own a boat. The tax collector could show up and say, how much you pay for the boat? He said, well, I paid, you know, 100 denarii. He'd say, no, you know what? This is actually worth 1,000 denarii. And then you have to pay tax. You have to pay customs based on the number he arbitrarily made up. These guys knew no limits with their corruption. 
the things they would do and say just to make money because now that they've already paid Rome the two million up front, they don't seek to simply recover the two million. Anything they make beyond two million is profit. Do you understand? You think corruption's bad in South Africa. It's bad, no doubt. I mean, some of you have epic stories about how bad it is because it's happened to you. But in this time, here you have a Jewish man, Matthew, who is now collaborating with Rome to grossly abuse the Jewish people, making things up, cheating, lying, stealing, essentially. Anything goes. So within Israel, publicans or tax collectors, they were considered the worst of the worst. You could not be a worse person than a tax collector because they essentially had no conscience. Anything they felt like doing, they would do. And if you went against them, they had Roman authority. They could imprison you. So that's why these, this group was so immensely hated. They were on the same level and even worse than, in many cases, harlots or, or prostitutes. Those, because they said these two groups are corrupting society in the worst possible way. Now imagine that kind of guy. Jesus passed by him. Imagine the other disciples when Jesus stopped at the booth where Matthew's collecting taxes, points the finger towards Matthew and says, Matthew, it's your time. Come, follow me. I bet the other disciples were looking at each other going, Jesus, are you sure? Are you sure this one? Because in this day, rabbis would commonly teach that publicans could not be saved. They had gone too far. They were, let's say, irrecoverable. They were, they were so far gone and so deep in the depths of Satan that they could no longer repent. And because, of course, they would collaborate with Gentiles, with Romans, most other Jews would just stay far away. So these tax collectors, they were the worst of the worst. I want you to see in verse 28 what Matthew's reaction was to the follow me moment. And he left all and rose up, it says. He left all, rose up, and followed him. You know, I've read that verse I don't know how many times. It never stuck out to me the order. Did the lights just come on for you too? <laughs> the lights just came on for me. <laughs> Sorry, you guys just roll with it, eh? with, the, with the power being strange. we just got to work with it. I've never noticed the order of verse 28, but, but look at how this works. He left all, then he rose up. Look at that. You know, if I were telling the story, I would put those backwards. I, I would flip the order there. I would say, because I'm watching him do it, that he rose up and walked off and followed Jesus, and, that, and then he left all, right? The leaving all is the product of rising up and following. But that's not how it's ordered, and I don't think the Holy Spirit wastes these details. I think what we're learning here is leaving all starts in your heart. When he, he had been hearing about Jesus, the Lord had been dealing with him for we don't know how long. And now Jesus walks past that booth, he locks eyes with the Lord. The Lord says, follow me. And right there, Matthew decided, I am done with this life. I'm done with it. Before he could put his pen down, before he could let go of that bag of money he had in his hand, before he could lock the door, he had already decided in his heart, I do not want to be the man I've been. And he left all right there in his heart. That's where it started. Then 
he rose up and followed him. You know, I think the, this phrase, follow me or following Christ, I, I think it's been diluted so much that we don't appreciate truly what that means. Especially the day and age in which we live with Facebook and technology, you know. How many people do you follow on Twitter? How many people do you follow on Facebook? People send you a friend request, you just click, I don't even know what you click anymore, but you just click the button, you follow them. But you don't pay attention to them. You don't keep up with them, for the most part, right? We, we lose track of who we're following. When, when the Bible says follow, when Jesus says follow me, he's saying watch how I do it and do thou likewise. Follow my footsteps. Follow my example. Pay attention to my teachings. Do it like I do it. Follow me as a, as a basketball coach. I was a coach for years. I would tell them, now watch what I'm doing. Hold it like this. Bend the knees like that. Hold your hand like this. Follow me. It's not as simple as just click the button and then maybe if you put an interesting post up, I'll give you two seconds of, of time. But that's where we've taken the whole idea of following Christ. It was okay, yeah, um, I heard a sermon at church and then somebody said, listen, you want to be saved? You want to go to heaven? Okay, raise your hand. Boop, put my hand up. Okay, now I've, I've signed up. And, and in our minds, that's the same as clicking the button. Okay, I'm following him. No, you're not. That, that's, that's not the same. That's not the same as you deep down in your heart going, you know what? This whole time I've been living my life the way I want to live it. And I'm tired of myself. This is not why God put me on this earth. God put me here so that I could have fellowship with him. And that man, Jesus, who's calling me, if I live like him and follow him, he's going to get me to God. I want that. Think about what this cost him. He left all. He quit his job. Have you ever considered, have you ever thought about it? Now, now please understand, not, I'm not asking any of you to go quit your job. Unless it's a bad job. Because then I am. If you're in a business that promotes something wrong, you need to stop it. What did Jesus say about entering into the kingdom? He said, it's better to, have, to, to go ahead and cut your hand off so you can enter into the kingdom than having two, hand, two hands and go into hellfire, right? If your eye offends, you pluck it out. You know how serious he is about repentance? If there's something that is hindering you from walking with God, cut it out of your life. And if it's a job, it needs to go. If any man wants to be my disciple, let him hate his fathers, mothers, brothers. That's asking a lot. You see, we have watered down Christianity so much because, right, the demands of discipleship are quite high and not a lot of people are going to sign up for that. If it's free, click, sign me up. But, but wait a minute, yes, salvation, the payment he made on the cross, the gift of eternal life, that's free. But why do you want that free gift? Do you want just a get out of hell free card to stick in your back pocket so that you can go on living the way you want and let someone else pay the bill? Because if that's the case, you're not receiving Jesus as Savior, you're receiving Him as scapegoat. And that's not the same thing. It says He left all. I've often thought, what would it be like? I don't know if you've ever tested yourself like this. What would it be like to live in those first hundred years of the church where if you became a Christian there's a very good chance you'd lose your life. If you became a Christian, you would be ostracized by your family. 
I don't think our church would grow as quickly. We probably wouldn't need a building, but the few people we would have, they'd be serious. You realize the sacrifice this is taking? Matthew is turning his world upside down. And that is exactly what following Jesus is meant to do. Change you completely, and it's worth it. No matter what you have to give up, no matter what you have to cut out of your life, it's worth it. You're going to see throughout the Gospel of Luke, Luke zeroes in on these cases. He talks more about publicans than any other Gospel writer. Did you know that? You have the parable where Jesus says there was a a Pharisee that said, I love to pray, I fast twice in the week, and then there's a publican that beats on his chest and says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Zacchaeus, the publican, he's up in a tree looking for Jesus, and Jesus has come down, I'm coming to your house today. Those stories are only in the Gospel of Luke. It's almost as if Luke is trying to get this message across that even if you are the worst of the worst sinner and your life is so bad and you don't think there's any way that you could possibly turn your life around, you have a chance with Christ. It doesn't matter what you've done, what society thinks, they may think there's no way God could ever change you or use you, that you are unsavable, because that's what they thought of these publicans. And Luke's saying, the the worst of the worst, from the guttermost to the uttermost, Jesus can save that soul. Jesus can turn that man around, not just change his life for the better, but use him as one of the apostles. This was a revolutionary thought. He left all, rose up, and followed him. I've made this statement several times. I don't know how serious it's been taken, but I do mean it. People often, you know, they move to another town. They say, I'm struggling to find a church. Move. If there's not a good church there, move. Move to a town where there is one. It's good advice. Because anything that can help you get closer to God, anything that can help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, do it. You say, Brother Mike, that's drastic. So is cutting off your hand or gouging out your eye. So is walking by the guy's workplace saying, hey, follow me. Okay, shut it up, close it down, business done, following him. It is drastic. What do you expect? We're talking about not life and death. That's small, that's small stuff. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about something that matters, not like money. The, the, the Bible tells us that the, the money, is those aren't the true riches. Those are deceitful riches because you know as well as I, it can get into your wallet and get out even faster. Have you read Proverbs chapter 23 where it says money grows wings like an eagle and flies away? Have you read that verse? You've lived it if you've never read it. <laughs> SARS makes sure of that, right? SARS gives your money some Red Bull. It gives it wings. (laughs) You know it's true. That's the way it's set up. You don't even see the money now, right? It's taken out of your paycheck. It's not like you go and pay. They just suck it right out. That's not the true riches. People will, I'm not against you taking a job elsewhere. You understand that. If you get a job offer somewhere else, pray about it. But don't, don't say, well, it's a good offer. There's a lot of money. I'll go chasing after that. Well, what are you following? I believe it was Jesus who said, no man can serve his masters. He'll love the one. 
hate the other. He'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So you're going to have to choose, who am I following? Matthew chose that day, it's Christ. I'm following Christ, no matter what it costs me. Verse number 29, Levi made him a great feast in his own house. Now Levi has the means to do this. He can put on a big dinner. What does he do? There was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. So Levi, Matthew now, he invites Jesus and the other disciples to a great feast at his house. And Matthew, you know what he, he wants to do? I want all of my old life, I want my old friends, my old life to meet my new life. I want my old friends to meet my new friends. I got Jesus and the disciples. Hey, so do we. We have the Holy Spirit in our heart and here's the disciples. So what do you mean? The apostles wrote the New Testament. Here they are. <laughs> so now we set up a feast. It doesn't have to be a church service, although that works. But Matthew sets up, he creates an environment where the old life can meet the new life. I hope that you're making attempts at doing this. Are, are you trying to create an atmosphere, an environment where Somebody from the old life, maybe a workmate or an old friend, classmate, can meet your new life? Matthew did in verse number 30, but their scribes and Pharisees, here's the religious crowd, murmured against his disciples saying, why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Well, I I'm going to ask, can you hold your place here in Luke? Just flip over to Matthew chapter 9 for a moment. Matthew 9 verse 13. I haven't been doing this too, too much, but on this one occasion, I want to show you from Matthew's gospel this same story. And of course, Matthew, the writer of this gospel, he's the man we're reading about in Luke chapter 5. So we would expect maybe an additional, uh, an additional line or two in this story, and, and we do. We get something a little extra. Matthew 9, 13. So Jesus is answering the question, why do you eat with publicans and sinners? Jesus explains, you know, they that are sick, they need a physician, verse 13, but go ye and learn what that meaneth. Do you know this is the only time Jesus said this kind of thing? He obviously wants us to go and learn, go and study all the things that he mentioned, right? We're supposed to know what he taught. But this one time he tells people, go home and study this out. Now, I'm just going to assume that most of you, because I know you, you've been in our church for a while, you've probably read the New Testament by now, which means you've read this verse. So I'm sure, I'm sure you've obeyed it. Jesus said, go and learn this. This is the heart and soul of his ministry. If you've missed this, you've missed the whole purpose of him coming to the earth. This is it right here. This is huge. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. And then the, we have this in Luke, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Go and learn what that means. Jesus says, go home and study this verse. The verse is Hosea 6, verse 6. Now I'll just tell you what that says, but you can go and study it later. Hosea the prophet, quoting God, I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Okay, 
Pastor, would you help me understand that better? I want you to think about it more later, but I am going to quickly explain it. God wants you to know him, not just go through the motions of religion. Why are you sitting with the worst of the worst in society? Why are you eating with publicans and sinners? Why? Because I want them to know that no matter how bad they are, there is a way to God. Now, let's be careful. Because many times people come to this passage in Luke 5, Matthew 9, and they say, ah, you see, it's perfectly fine for we as Christians to go to these bad places and participate in these bad events, you know, these uh, morally dodgy things. It's okay for us to do that because this way we can become friends with the sinners and hopefully sinners will want to become Christians because we're friendly with them. That is not what Jesus is doing. So let's, let's just make this clear. Think of this. There's a road, right, that leads to God. In the book of Isaiah, it's called the highway of holiness, actually. You can read about that in, in the latter part of Isaiah, a highway of holiness. So think about this road, and on either side of a road, you have two ditches. Now, in South Africa, we'd have a lot of potholes, but this is God's road, no potholes, amen. So we just have two ditches on each side. And on one side, you have, the, you have the ditch of the Pharisees and the scribes, right? If you get too out of balance, you're too far to the right, let's say, my, this is my right over here, you're on this side going, no, 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 those people are horrible and wicked. You cannot ever talk to them. You can't even acknowledge them. Don't say hello. Don't salute them. Nothing. They are so unclean that if you even look in their way, it's going to make you unclean. So this is that holier-than-thou attitude of I'm too good of a Christian to ever go, you know, to condescend to people like you. Well, if that's the case, then how are you ever going to reach them? But then there's another side where people say, well, in order to reach them, I need to become them. I need to hang out with them. I need to be like them. I need to do what they do so that they feel comfortable. And then you're... you're going too far to the left, and you're in a different ditch altogether. The Bible makes this part very clear. In, the, in Ecclesiastes, you have the two ditches. It says in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 16, be not righteous over much. Isn't that a strange verse? Be, don't be too righteous. <laughs> you say, what's that? You're, you're not so far removed from those sinners that you have no contact. Standing over here saying, I... I, I if I even look that way, I'm going to be sinful myself. That's, that's, you're going too far with it. And then the next verse says, be not over much wicked. See how the Bible keeps you balanced? So where, where are we hoping to, find, uh, to get some balance, to get, some, to get our bearings here? If you're a doctor called out to, let's say, help with a car accident, right? If you're an EMT, Bad accident has happened. People are on the road. They're hurting. Do you have to have that same accident in order to help the people that were in the accident? Do, wouldn't that be ridiculous? <laughs> to say they're, they're hurting, they're in pain, and in order for me to help them, I have to also crash my car and break my leg so that that would make no sense at all. So to say, let me, let me go down and participate in what they're doing if a doctor, especially we learned this with COVID, right? Doctors, in order to help people, have to go where the sick people are. Now, when a doctor goes to help that sick person, that doctor needs to take care of his own health. Isn't this true? He needs to protect himself. He doesn't need to partake of the disease in order to help people with the disease. 
He doesn't himself have to become sick. The physician doesn't have to be sick in order to help those that are sick. Notice what Jesus is doing. He's sitting in a neutral environment calling sinners to repent, showing them this middle-of-the-road highway that gets us to God. It is obtainable. You can walk this path, and I will walk it with you, but I am not going to stoop to that ditch to do it. Jesus never, listen, he didn't hang out with sinners in order to save them. He hung between sinners. You understand, he was crucified between two thieves. We can live a crucified life in the midst of the thieves of this world. And in the process, we can save some. Because that one of those thieves got saved. Why? Because Jesus, although he is high and holy and lifted up and separate from sinners, realized that I can still go down there and be near to him and say, listen, come, repent, you can get to God. You're not unreachable. You are changeable. In verse number 31, Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician. But they that are sick, they that are sick, you cannot get better until you first recognize how bad you are. We've said it before, you can't be saved until you're lost. And I have found that's the hardest thing for people to admit, is that they're lost. The worst of the worst was at that table, yes? publicans, sinners. You know what Jesus said in the book of Matthew? He said to that religious crowd, to the scribes and Pharisees, publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. You realize what a slap in the face that was? The people that you say are unsavable, they're going to go in the kingdom before you guys. Do you know who was really the sickest at that, at, at that meeting that night? Not the publicans, but the Pharisees. They were filled with the disease of pride. They were filled with that disease of self-conceit. I've got it figured out. I'm good just the way I am. I'm following my way to God. And Jesus had come calling saying, listen, I, I want everybody to repent. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, even the religious. That's the hardest crowd to reach. The publicans and harlots, that's a tough crowd. Don't get me wrong. But that's not the hardest crowd. The hardest crowd is the crowd that doesn't think they're sick. Because if you don't think you're sick, you'll never take the medicine. If you don't think you need help, you'll never go looking for it. So this is one of the biggest things the devil will do is give you a false assurance of your salvation. He'll let you sit in a church meeting where the preacher gives you this easy-peasy salvation experience. Listen, just lift the hand. Okay, now you're saved. The devil had me with that. When I was 15, I called a Baptist pastor. I was a Catholic, mind you. I called a Baptist youth pastor. I said, I keep hearing this word saved. What does it mean to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And he said, do you have a Bible? I said, sure. And I did. I had a Catholic Bible there. He said, okay, find this, find that. I, I started turning... I couldn't find any of those verses. He said, have you found it? I lied. I said, yeah, yeah, I found it. 
He read the verse, and he said, now, do you understand that? I said, sure, I didn't. He said, okay, are you ready to pray? He read about five verses with me. He said, are you ready to pray? I said, sure. So he prayed. And when he said, in Jesus' name, amen, on the other side of the phone, I did this. And he said, now you're saved. I went, great. And for the next three years, I went through life telling people I'm saved. Because I thought I was. And I had never met Christ. I am not trying to get you to doubt a decision you have made to follow Christ. I want you to examine yourself this morning and ask the question, do, have I personally made that genuine decision to leave all, rise up, and follow Him? Or have I just gone through some religious motions? At some point, you're going to have to first admit this. If you want to know if, you're, if your experience with Christ was genuine, here's, here's one great way to do it. When did you ever admit that you were sick? Because the person that comes to Christ and says, hey, I want you to be my Savior, and he says, okay, what's wrong? What do you need to say from? Oh, I don't know. I just, you know, everybody else is doing it. You know, that preacher said, I just repeat this prayer. Or, you know, my mom and dad go to church, so I want to. But why do you need a Savior? Why do you want to follow Christ? The man that comes to Christ and is going to get salvation, he's going to first admit, I was sick. I was sick. I was filled with sin on my way to hell, away from God with no way back. Jesus got me there. Some years ago, Dr. Ruckman, he was my pastor. He was many things. He, he was an incredible character. He was, uh, among other things, a professional artist. So every Sunday night in church, he would draw while he preached. He'd push the pulpit out of the way. He'd have a, a big board, uh, I don't know, three times the size of that whiteboard there, this big piece of paper, and he would use colored chalk. So they were called chalk talks. And he would do this on TV. He did this for, I don't know, 30 years, 40 years. He preached on TVs all the way back to, I think, the 1950s or 60s. But Dr. Ruckman would get up with a piece of chalk, and, and he wouldn't, his Bible would be over there on a, on a preek stool over in the corner. And he'd say, all right now, all right. He'd talk out of the side of his mouth. He'd say, all right now, open your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah. Get Jeremiah chapter 35. All right, Jeremiah chapter 35. And he'd start drawing the picture. And we'd all get the verse. And he'd say, all right now, it says there in the book of Jeremiah, thus saith the Lord. And he'd start quoting the passage. He never looked at his Bible, not one Sunday night, ever. But he knew all the verses. That, that was always just mind-blowing to me. It didn't matter where we're at. He knew what the verses were saying. He didn't have his Bible there. He'd say, all right, now it says there, and he'd go about 10 verses, and then he'd start preaching. He'd turn around a bit, and he'd preach for a bit. He, he was a mess of a man. He, he'd have chalk, you know, sometimes charcoal all over his fingers. He'd, touch it. he'd have charcoal marks all over his face. You know, you'd get an itch every now and then. He'd have charcoal everywhere. And then he'd go back and start drawing. And, and what he would do when he was a younger man, I was in Bible school, he was 80. When he was a younger man, he'd put that that big white board in the back of a, what you guys would know as a baki and go into the middle of the CBD. No amplification or nothing. And he would start drawing a picture of Christ hanging on the cross. I have the picture at my, at my house, by the way, if you want to see it. The, the, they've made a, a print of it now. But he'd draw this picture and he'd say, now, friend, and I mean, just in the middle of the whole community, hundreds of people walking by, he says, I have a great message today. If there's any sinners... If there's, a, if there's any sinners out here today, i got a great message for you. Just come this way. If you're a sinner, come on this way. i got a great message for you. 
people would just walk by. Sinner, I'm not a sinner. You know. I'm a Baptist, I'm not a sinner. <laughs> I'm a Catholic, I'm not a sinner. <laughs> and he'd say, any sinners in the crowd? And he would call out for sinners. And he'd wait 10, 15 minutes until he'd have a small crowd of sinners right there in right there in front of the board by the bucky, and he'd say, all right, now, sinners, I want to tell you the greatest message that's ever been told. This man right here, Jesus, he came because he loves you, and he died for you, and he'd give him the gospel. He'd say, now, if you sinners want to be saved, you can take a knee right here. You can give your heart, your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, and those sinners would hit the, hit the ground right there in front of everybody. Give their heart to Christ, rise up, and follow him. You know, some of those people ended up in church, ended up in Bible school, ended up in the, as a pastor, ended up as a missionary, just because some man came and called a sinner to repentance. You know, that call is still going out today. But, but here, here's the caveat. Here's the catch. Here's the tough part. Are there any sinners in the house? Any sinners here this morning? Because if you're a sinner here, any, any sick people, we got, the, we got the physician. If there's any sinners in the house, we got a great message for you. Salvation full and free in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, will you decide today, I'm done with my old life. I'll put that aside. I don't care what it costs me. I want to follow him. That's the offer. If you're a sinner, that call is going out to you. Now, like Matthew, you have a choice to make. This is now your follow me moment. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. As Connie plays softly. If there's any sinners here today that have never been saved, can you hear the Holy Spirit whispering in your heart saying, follow me? Come to Christ. You know, one way you know that Matthew genuinely repented is he immediately started calling out to his friends, saying, you guys need to repent. You guys need to meet this new master of mine. Do you do that? Do you go out of your way to create opportunities to introduce people to Christ? Or are you still busy making excuses for why you don't want to change those difficult parts of your life? Matthew left all. Would you?
I've asked myself that so many times. If I had to give it all up, would I? Well, I'd, I'd like to think that the grace of God would get me through that. I'd make the right choice. I want to say that I love Him that much. I hope He never tests me. Because I don't want to let Him down. I want to follow Him. I want to watch how He lives and how He speaks and do likewise. How about you, friend? You want that? Jesus does not need you to click the button to follow Him on Facebook. In just a moment, we'll close the service. And I'm going to call out one more time. If there are any sinners here today that want the Lord Jesus Christ to live in their heart, you're already standing. What I'm going to ask is that you, you raise up your hand. Would you do that? And this, this is not you getting saved. This is, I'm just saying that I want to pray for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thank you. My goodness, thank you. Thank you for the honesty, folks. I appreciate that. All I'm going to do is pray and ask God to help you to make the right decision that today becomes your follow me moment where you decide the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. That's what this song says. I'm going to pray. But those of you that raised your hands, and my goodness, there were a number of hands. Listen, folks, don't, don't let Jesus just walk by. He's calling out, follow me, now do something. If you're not quite sure how to take that next step, you find me right afterwards. But right where you're at, you can bow the knee, you can pray in your heart, whatever you need to do. Tell the Lord that you want Him to come in. Call upon His name. He said He'll save you, but you need to answer that call. Tell Him, Lord, I'm sick. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I know that. I'm, I, I'm, I'm lost. But I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. Please save me. Would you pray that? Father, you're doing something in here, Lord. You're doing something in here. You just keep working, Lord. We'll, we'll stay, we'll just stay here praying until you're done. Lord, too many hands went up. Oh God, save some people. Save them now, Lord. Let this be their turning point. Let, be, let this be that moment they look back and go, that's when I decided to follow Jesus. God, help us never to be ashamed 
to let people know where we stand with you. Give us an opportunity, Lord, to introduce our old life to our new one. Help us, God, to live that crucified life while we move about in this world. God, save somebody today. Father, thank you for how you've worked this morning. The decisions made here today, Lord, give these folks grace. Let it stick. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for your time. And Lord willing, we'll see you again very soon.